Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In the sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations. Because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. My guest today is psychological astrologer Jennifer Freed. She is the author of a new book called A Map to Your Soul. In it, she explores how using the astrology of fire, earth, air, and water can help us live in alignment with our authentic selves. She calls this living a fully expressed life. Today, Jennifer and I talk about the critical nature of being true to yourself and why we generally fear speaking our truth. We talk about the journey into self-acceptance, big friendship, and how to negotiate the different parts of ourselves. Lastly, Jennifer shares a preview for what's coming in 2023, and you'll want to tune in for this part. So let's get to my chat with Jennifer Freed. I'm not only excited to talk to you, but I'm, I'm honored because you are such an amazing teacher, healer, thinker, and you're a very busy woman. And one of the things that I love most about you is how clear you are with your boundaries, which I want to ask you kind of how you got there. And I'm just very, so happy that you're on the Goop podcast because of who you are to me and to everybody else. So thank you for being here. Well, I'm so honored because I truly have admired you before I knew you and getting to know you over time. I rave about you all the time. I, and I mean that. And you know, you're not always popular. So I find myself often going, well, you don't know. You don't know. <laughs> and I I really stand for you and see your very best and so appreciate the effort you make every day. Thank you. I'm just one of those people I think that people project a lot onto me. So, well, that is your seventh house in astrology. It's mm. the seventh house is about partnerships, but also envy and enemies. And you have a loaded seventh house. So you're both super beloved, but you also 
catalyze or receive a lot of negative projections. Mm -hmm. So can you just start with telling me a little bit about how you came to astrology? You, you started as a psychologist. You have a PhD. Well, actually, they both happened at the same time. So okay. I, yeah, so I was born in New York City to a very like working class Jewish intellectual family. My dad moved us to LA when I was quite young because he was an actor on Broadway and he wanted to get into TV, which he did fairly well as a character actor. But I was from a young age, very spiritual, nothing to do with my family. I have no reason to be that way. And I was drawn to astrology. And when I was 18, I had a boyfriend that said, you should go into psychology. When I was 19, a friend of mine said, you should meet this astrologer. And so since I've been 18, I've been studying psychology and getting my degrees. And since I've been 19, I've been studying astrology and getting my certification. So they've been a parallel path. And would you say that that's a rare amalgam? Are there lots of psychological astrologers? Well, it is a rare amalgam for people that actually have the certification and the doctorate. A lot of people call themselves this, but a handful of people actually are psychotherapists that are also very scholarly astrologers. What is the interesting intersectionality between psychology and astrology? Well, the word psychology comes from the word psyche, which is soul. So I think of psychology as the study of the soul and then the applications that we make to the people that come to see us for problem solving and for self-understanding and social awareness. Astrology is the map of the soul. So for me, it's the ideal combination because when I'm working with somebody, I can see their map which doesn't say what they're going to achieve, but what their patterns and programs might be. And then with psychology and social and emotional education, I make it very practical. Like, oh, you have, for example, Gwyneth, Saturn with the moon, which means, and this is just objective. It doesn't mean about your actual mother, but it means that you were very emotionally censored or repressed as a child. Now, that is what the chart shows. Mm-hmm. But then if I say that to somebody, they're like, thank you. <laughs> you know, So what? Then it's like, how do we unpack that? How mm-hmm. do we change the emotionally repressed censored child into an authoritative, emotional adult woman? And that's the whole art for me of psychology and astrology. How do you transform those patterns in the charts into gifts? That's Mm. what I look at. And then the how-to is very important, not just getting the insight. Right. Do you do them in tandem? Yes, I do them in tandem. So the way it worked out for me, because astrology wasn't popular at all 40 years ago, I kept a psychotherapy practice separate from my astrology practice. You didn't tell your customers that you- No, no. In fact- In fact, one of my therapy clients, a really great guy, after much family therapy, I helped them a lot. He said to me, oh my God, I just heard you're an astrologer too. What a quack. How could you be a therapist so good? And then you're into that weird stuff. I mean, no, I didn't put them together. Now, obviously I can put them together because we've come into a new age of awareness of astrology. Mm -hmm. But back then it was very separate. 
Right. And so would you casually ask a new patient for their birthplace and birth time? Very smart, GP. I wouldn't say the time. I would, let's say you came to see me. I'd say, oh, I'm taking my notes, you know, the intake. I'd say, oh, so what's your birthday? I wouldn't ask the time. That felt like a little stalkery and creepy. But I just by knowing the birth date, you can know a lot. And I definitely would look. Okay. So, so you don't necessarily have to know your exact birth time. No, many people don't. And okay. by the way, hospitals are notorious for writing down the wrong time. So I don't get too caught up in the exact time. It is very helpful to have an accurate time, but it isn't the whole ball game at all. Hmm. You're really my biggest exposure to astrology. It, and I'm, I'm fascinated by it, by the way. I just have never spent that much time with it. I'm not someone who, you know, reads my star chart every day. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Yeah. Because I feel like it's commercialized or generalized. I don't know. Unless maybe it's like an app that does it in a really specific way or something like that. But but every time you you talk to me about whatever my moons or where or I don't know. <laughs> yes, I'm, exactly. like, I'm like, damn, this is really accurate. And, and so will you just tell me a little bit about kind of like the big picture of astrology? What is it about being born at certain times in certain places with certain planets in certain positions? Like how are we influenced by that as human beings? Well, number one, it's a great mystery, just like falling in love. I actually don't have a pat answer why it works or why it is. I've just had thousands of experiences of the validity of it. Yeah. So that's number one. But number two, a great analogy for me is when a small yay drinks wine, they'll know exactly the grape, the region, the time, the et cetera, because there's a character to that grape and that wine. This is my experience of astrology. When you're born at a certain time in a certain place on a certain day, there is something ineffable and it's laid out in this map of the heavens. And if you're very skilled at it, which many people are now, you can look at that map and actually see the soul lessons Mm -hmm. of that person, not to the degree that they're going to actualize them, but what is possible, what I call divine possibilities. What is kind of like on the curriculum for them and then they can decide? Yes, we have free will. And so, for example, Adolf Hitler and Charlie Chaplin were born very close together. One made a career with a great film called The Great Dictator as a comedian, and the other played it out in actual life. Mm. One thing I'm really passionate about is how to take our negative complexes and make them into art instead of making them into saboteuring relationships. So how do we begin to do that? Well, I think one is the most important part for everybody is do your own work, be accountable. Mm -hmm. If you notice that you're in a repetitive pattern, you can go to an astrologer and talk about that, but it's on you to say, wow, I keep doing the same thing. I'm the common denominator. I need help to undo this. Like I can take myself as an example. In my chart, an astrologer said to me, young, you'll never be married, you'll never be committed. Well, that wasn't helpful and I hate astrology like that, but I'm also a rebel and I went, wait, you'll see. And anyway, 
what ended up happening is I realized that I have an aversion to marriage and commitment that's kind of constitutional. Mm-hmm. But I did a work around that through doing a lot of therapy and saying, I want a partner. I want to be attached. I just don't want the conventional stuff. And I don't want to be married, not because I don't believe in marriage, but because it would make me feel trapped and suffocated. And so 26 years later, I have my partner. I'm in love. I'm still engaged. Mm. So I feel like you can work with your material and upgrade it mm-hmm. or learn how to manage it in a way that's fruitful. So take the example that you just gave me. Yeah. It's an astrologer told you it's constitutional that yeah. you are right. Yeah. But then, you know, in conversation with a, with a wise person who maybe isn't an astrologer, they might say, oh, well, that's because your mother did X, your father did Y, you had this trauma and Z. If it's constitutional, does your life give you circumstances to justify the constitutional resistance to something? Completely. And by the way, you'd make a great astrologer. You're really getting this. Yes. (laughs) So yes, it's both. And like my lived experience and my chart are going to be corresponding because as inside of us, we experience on the outside. But the interesting part is I had this chart from birth. So isn't it funny that my cultural family conditioning matched Mm. what I was born with? Right. And, And so they just kind of dovetail into the same thing. Yes. And then, of course, I am a trauma therapist, so I firmly believe that even if you have really hard chart and really hard circumstances with a lot of help, you can create gifts from the pain and really, really undo what people feel as the curses of the charts. That sounds ominous. What are the curses of the chart? No, in the old days, remember this is thousands of years old, they would say, oh, this planet's a malefic. And if you have it with this planet, you're doomed. I mean, they were really not about free will, really. Wow. Nowadays, we see, oh, if you have what's called a hard aspect, this is a growth opportunity. You're not fixed to a faded bad outcome. You have a growth opportunity. Right. Right. I, I I actually really believe that. I've seen that we have free will and that we are able to alter the course of our lives. And I think, you know, the more that you put into that, right, the more that you can expect to course correct. Yeah. And my main thing that I say to people that are having a really hard time or brokenhearted, because I've gone through all of that. It's like, don't give up. Don't resign. There's so much more to learn. And I'm very positive because I've seen it again and again that people can take really hard circumstances and charts and turn them into glorious contributions. I've seen it. That's really beautiful to hear. You know, because I think it's challenging being in a human body and going through life, right? We all have so many challenges and heartbreaks and failures and disappointments and low self-esteem and problems at work and divorce and all this stuff. How do we, and how do you help your clients like find that strength and energy and, and positivity to keep going? Like you just said. 
Well, I have it, number one. I think it starts with me. And I have to say it's an effort in a world that's full of pain. So I spend two hours a day doing exercises and such to keep my mindset positive. And if I didn't do those, I don't think I would be positive. Takes a lot of energy to fight against the negative mindset that the world presents. And by the way, I have to give a shout out to somebody you know too, Norman Lear, who just turned 100. Yes. He always says to me, Jennifer, so hard to be human. You know, in that like old man voice. I love him so much, but he's done everything. And he's still going, it's so hard to be human. But anyway, it's hard to be human. So number one, I don't minimize my suffering. I'm really dramatic and very acting out with my partner of all my woes and complaints. Like we just laugh and laugh. And I know the human spirit. I've seen it, you know, especially as a therapist. I know the human spirit. And I don't think it's a cakewalk and I don't recommend to anyone to incarnate as human unless you're up for some really big stuff. (laughs) I mean, we're all just here watching this show going, oh my God, we signed up for this. Did we? Did we sign up for this? I feel I did. I don't know how much I'd sign up next time, like a Netflix thing, if I would sign up again. I don't know. Did you have something that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I do want to talk about you. So in my new book, A Map to Your Soul, I really focus on the elements. The basic elements are fire, earth, air, and water. And fire is that very impulsive, dynamic, very charismatic, very bold energy. Fire signs are Aries and Leo and Sagittarius. And the earth is that very concentrated, stable, dependent, sultry, sensual, physical, like in a very thick way, energy, practical. And that is Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. Right. And then you have air, which you are mostly. Air is the very visionary and open and friendly and communicative and inspiring and quick-witted. And air is Libra, Aquarius, and Gemini. And then water is the mushy-mushy feeling stuff, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, all of that good stuff. And that is Pisces, Scorpio, and Cancer. So We all have all four elements in our charts. Everyone has all four. What's fascinating is what's your strongest element and what does that say about you? Mm. So this is where I want to talk about you. Oh boy. Okay. It's actually, I'm always going to be complimentary. I don't really say things to people unless they're going to be uplifting because why bother? I'll be honest, but you're mostly air. And air is what has made you so influential because you're a thinker, you're a communicator, you're very intelligent, you have a very big vision, you're always ahead of other people, like you're setting trends before people even know they're a trend and then they're mad at you, they didn't get there first, or they're mad at you because you got there first, whatever, you know, you're air. The other thing about you, because now I know you a little bit, you go places, Like who can keep up with you? She's there. She's there. She's there. You're like the air. So that's your, you know, biggest element. 
Now, what's interesting is your lowest element is earth. And that means the thing you have least is the kind of thick, slow, grounded, stable. And now, this, you know, from looking at my chart? Yes, I've okay. studied your chart. Ooh, okay. Now, the really good news is you have one big planet in earth, which is you have Mars in Virgo. Mars is how you get things done. And Virgo is an earth sign that means you like to get things done very well, almost perfectionistic, and you're really wanting to serve a lot of people. But here's my fascinating part studying you today. Brad, who I like to call Bradley for some reason. You can, a lot of people do. Oh, really? Okay. He has his strongest element is earth, the one you're weakest in. And guess what his weakest element is? Air. Air. <laughs> and this is called attraction. Oh my God. I mean, that is really attraction. You have what I don't have. I have what you don't have. And if you then very intentionally honor that in each other and learn about that from each other, it's a great union. But I was just thrilled to see like he brings the earth. He really does. And and that's, I think that's true from my anecdotal experience of being in a relationship with him. He's very, very grounding. Like, I don't think I could get through my life without him. Yes, I right now would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I would right now want to give Brad 1500 gold stars yeah. because it takes a lot to be the tether for an air person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and to not resent it, like you're flying high and he's got to keep, keep the stability yeah. and that I, I appreciate him for that. On the other hand, life would not be at all as exciting for Bradley if it weren't for you, because that's what air brings. <laughs> Ah, that's so funny. And he's such a hermit on some level. He really likes to be home. He doesn't need to be at the dinner party. And I, you know, I love kind of interacting with people I love. Like he would honestly, if if we're apart, he does not socialize. It's hilarious. Yes. Well, I have to say I'm a lot like him. <laughs> so I, I love the people I love, but oh, if it's a party or be alone for me, mostly it would be alone. Yeah, you know, it's true. I'm actually with parties. I'm not, I'm not so good. I, I think you're good at it. I just think that a lot is taken from us at this point in our lives. It's a lot to work as hard as you do. I, I guess I want to honor that right now too, looking at your chart. Your chart is one of the hardest working charts I've ever seen. And I think people think the glamour part of you a lot, but I see the hard work part. And because you happen to look the way you do, it doesn't show up very well on your face. But I, I just want to say, thank you. <laughs> no, but I mean, with you, you just seem fresher and fresher, but you work that hard. And that is both a gift and also challenging because people don't always see what goes behind all of this presentation. Yeah. Again, it's like a lot of assumptions are made, a lot of projections are made. And so for me anyway, I always just try to make that not my business yeah. and just to be, you know, really, really close to myself, which is something that you talk about kind of in the beginning of the book about, right. About the, the, the critical nature of being true to yourself. Yeah. Let me say it like this, because someone okay. once said this to me, and it helped me a lot. They said, you better 
really be who you are. Yes. Because if people like you and you're not authentic, you'll never trust anyone really likes you. And it's been very inspiring for me because I am a very authentic and transparent and goofy and weird person. I feel like people really either like me or don't like me. And I've actually learned a lot from you because you're on a much bigger stage, but I watch people take, you know, hits at you. And, and lately some of that happens to me and and I just go, wow, you just can't be bothered. Cannot be bothered. And I think I I remember what the phrase is. It's a fully expressed life. Yes. That's what I'm about. And when I read that, I thought, you know, that's, that's pretty profound because what you're saying in that phrase is I totally accept myself. I am free to be all parts of myself and fuck you. Well, I hope I'm not that aggressive. Sometimes, no, no, no. But wait, but sometimes I do feel that angry when people are mean to me or don't accept me. I do feel that angry, but I think in general, it's just so much fun being fully expressed I just don't have time for the wankers and the doubters. I just don't. Yeah. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. So how do you set those boundaries? Do you meet somebody and you intuitively feel like this person isn't for me or do you need kind of data evidence? And then what is the boundary that you set and how? I can give you some examples. And I think it's been a hard one thing because I think boundary setting hasn't been popular for females. We've been told to conform and contort and all of that. Yeah. But I've gotten really good at it. And it's both those things. One is I can tell within minutes if somebody's energy is a drain or a fountain. Mm -hmm. And I can only be around fountains now. That's number one. And number two, if they seem a fountain and I start to get to know them and then the data is, uh uh-oh, not really, then I just kind of back off slowly because everything's a negotiation. But I can give you an example of a boundary that might blow you away because you're a Libra and would never do this, but it's okay. A woman that I met through another woman was like, oh my God, we should get together. I live right near you. Let's do this and do that. And I said, you know what? I hardly see my friends as it is. I'm not in the market for a new acquaintance. I just can't do it. Wow. I just couldn't. And you know what? I'm still like, if I see her, we hug and hug. But I didn't say it with malice. It was my truth. Yeah. So I don't really get enough quality time with my folks. Yeah. And so unless I'm just gobsmacked by somebody, I'm not adding people to the roster. Right. And another example is with our adult children. You know, we're two women together. 
sometimes they'd rather just live with us because there's so much nurturing that goes on. So I had to make a rule after a point. I said, you all can only come here for seven days at a time because I can't take it. How long were they coming for? (laughs) You know what? It could have been 10 days, but this is where it gets to the nitty gritty. It's like, I just noticed, wow, you know, I'm very sensitive. And so if people are around, I'm just really responding to them. And at this point in my life, I just need so much time. Me and Bradley, we need so much time alone. We do. Yeah. I mean, that's how we get kind of re-energized. Exactly. So boundaries to me are, it sounds like a hard word. Sometimes I'm ungraceful at the cost of trying to make a good boundary. But I think women should err on telling the truth as best they can. And as soon as they can, because if it gets over time that you're not telling the truth, then it's a harder rejection. Yes, absolutely. You know, I, it's something that I've been working on for a long time and I am getting better at it. I think as I get older, I think we kind of just naturally get better at this kind of thing. But I've also noticed that sometimes when you have old relationships that you really, really care about, like with an old, old friend and you are setting a boundary and they're not used to it, it can be very hurtful to them, you know, and very strange. I've gone through that and I'm a, such a loyal person. Like I just pretty much stick in it with people if they'll yeah. me and we can talk about it. Mm. I think we are all evolving mm-hmm. and who I was even seven years ago is not the same. And so sometimes people are shocked by the new agenda of Jennifer. You know, what's new today? Like one thing I think I saw on your feed is that you like to go to bed early. Is this true? This is true. Okay. Well, I like to go to bed at nine. And if we're having a dinner party, I've been known to say at 830, okay, love you all. And I'm going to sleep, you know, and Rendy likes to stay up and she could host and whatever she likes to do. But I think as we change and grow, if the people truly love us, they'll want to change and grow with us. It doesn't mean that there aren't those little ouches in negotiating the new relationship. We're always making new relationships to people, I think. Right, right, right. Redefining them, refining them. Yeah. Our friend, our mutual friend, Amy. Oh, I love Amy like crazy. Me too. She actually got me hostess gift and it's a pillow that says, please leave by nine. She really got it for you. I put it in the hallway. (laughs) Oh, see, that's a friend that really gets you because not only does she know that that's your truth, she put it on a pillow so you wouldn't have to say it. Because she knows that I'm a Libra that doesn't like confrontation. Yes. And I, and I think that's true to your nature. You have like four planets in Libra. So you would be conflict avoidant by nature. But again, we can learn even with that how to lean into conflict because conflict is a fire, the friction that creates growth. If you can't have real conflict with somebody, you can't really get more intimate. Yeah. Gosh, that's a very, very good point. And I think too, there's for the, for the conflict diverse part of me, I do think that there are also ways for somebody who's constitutionally conflict diverse to learn how to have conflict. I guess I learned, I saw 
whether, you know, in my family of origin or in the culture that conflict is, you know, aggressive or threatening or, you know, the stakes are really high and you don't have to have conflict like that. That's what I've really learned. There's, there's really a way to do it. Right. Many good ways to do it. Many, many. I think the most important thing I've learned is not everybody's up for those healthy ways and you have to know who you're dealing with. Yeah. Because I have also, because I'm not conflict avoidant, but I've also wanted to have productive conflicts with people that don't want to, and then it can be very hurtful. So you have Mm -hmm. to know who you're dealing with. Right. Are you up for healing this rupture? I think that's the most important question in astrology and psychology inside ourselves and with others. Are you up for healing this rupture? And I found, and I know, you know, you're so committed to Brad. I'm so committed to Randy. You have to have a million ruptures to get to the good stuff. You don't really know somebody till you've transgressed a boundary you didn't even know they had. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And like being able to commit to that level of intimacy, which is something that I have never done before. I was too scared. Well, you might've been too scared. And many people just were never given the toolbox and I, I do think I grew up, you know, with a lot of diet of romantic movies. And, you know, we all believe that conflict was something that just magically got solved because you had hot chemistry with somebody. Yeah. Farthest thing from the truth. Well, I think that you do have hot chemistry with people who are there to help you learn specific lessons to heal things like that's that's been my learning it's really like the more you're drawn to someone (laughs) the more you have to heal you know i couldn't agree more and i think that's something that should be a quote the more chemistry you have the more lessons you're going to have to have and people think it's the opposite the more chemistry that we have the more magical and the more perfect our lives will be no 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 just sign me up for the real advanced course. Yeah. And this is friendships or sex relationships, because honestly, I've learned as much from my friends as I have from my romantic partners. Yeah, it's true. If you've got strong attraction as a friend, there's a lot to learn. Mm, I agree with that. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Toomey has a soft side. Discover their new Acer bag collection in its pillowy pleats, satin finish, and crescent shape. Acer is the bag to carry for your 9 to 5 and the 5 to 9 plans that follow. Versatility, after all, is Toomey's signature. Shop the full Acer collection on Toomey.com or at a Toomey store near you. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. And and so what are your strategies for cultivating more of that, more more intimacy and safety and and really a sphere within which you are safe to learn the lessons from either a deep friend or an intimate partner? Well, for me at this point and I am turning 65 
proudly because I think so often women are not saying their ages is like, are you kidding? I made it this far and I'm in great shape. Let's say yes to that. <laughs> but turning 65 in January, what I think is the most important thing in having real intimacy is knowing that 90% of whatever's wrong is created through my perception. And I'm working harder than I ever have on coming from what I call my sage perspective, which is life is happening for me and what's possible. Mm -hmm. Then my saboteur perspective, which is life is happening to me. And why the F are people doing all this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I come from a very temperamental background. So for me, it's a lot about how am I seeing this? Is it bringing me peace or pain? And then it's being able to communicate my needs. You know, this is so hard for all of us and say them in a way that's inviting instead of attacking. Mm -hmm. I really am working hard on that to be able to say, ouch, instead of you, you know, or why did you do that? Or, it's just really coming from vulnerability and transparency and knowing that even if my needs are irrational, they can be voiced. Yeah. And then I have to be honest about what's coming back to me. So for example, I have friends that are just phenomenal. They look after me, they track, they know things about me, they check in on me and vice versa. I have family that does that. Then I also have people, family and friends that are just not like that at all. Yeah. And I have to get really real about don't be hurt and disappointed every single time. Just get that that's not what they do. Right. You know, so it's a lot of the inner work is what I found meditating, qigong, I journal, I dance around like a fool. Like I do anything just so I can stay in my heart mm -hmm. and create more good on the earth than, you know, sucking up the energy. Speaking of creating more good on the earth, you have a new book. Yes. A map to your soul, a map to your soul, which I love that title, by the way. So it's, it's kind of an interactive in a way, right? I mean, there's totally really practical exercises for self-reflection and, and I, I would love for you to talk a little bit about the best way to approach the book and and then I want to ask you about the, the domains. Yes. Okay. So the book is broken up into 12 chapters that are standalone chapters. You can do them in order or out of order. And they basically cover what I think of as the core issues in anyone's life. And I think the best way to go through it, this is my opinion, is do some yourself, do some with other people because it's not meant as just a self-reflection, but every single chapter is an extraordinary gateway to getting to know other people in your life and what they're made up of. Mm -hmm. So for example, you take the first chapter, which is about self-presentation. Who do people first meet when you walk in the room? And you have these inventories and you can really start to learn about, well, what are you expressing and what aren't you expressing? How cool is that to talk about with a significant other or a good friend? 
because we don't exist in a vacuum. So my hope with this book is people are going to do it in groups. They're going to do it in families. They're going to do it in couples. Because to me, to live a fully expressed life, it's foundational that you're around people that want you to. Yes, exactly. You want people who are hoping for your expansion and progression and good things for you. Yes. Well, my criteria for my sacred crew at this point, and I feel like you're one of those people, is if I was in the worst of the worst pain, you would just be there and feel sad with me and not try to fix me. But if I'm in my pinnacle of success, you'll be as happy for me as I am for myself. This is true. And I do feel this with you. And I'm telling you, that's what I want for everybody to have people around them that are cheering and also consoling. So why do we stick with bad relationships, codependent ones, negative ones? Why, why do we do that? Well, I did it for years <laughs> because I was trained to do that. We model after what we grow up with and bless my parents, both passed. I love them more now dead than I ever love them alive. <laughs> no, really, I want to say why, because I always think of them now in their spirits and they were magnificent and they did their very best, but they were really flawed as we all are. Right. We learn from our family of origin by the time we're eight, all of these coping patterns of attachment. And then I think after eight, you know, if you're lucky, it's a whole life of unlearning those patterns and keeping the good ones. Yeah. But how come I had all these dysfunctional relationships and took crumbs instead of getting feasts? All of that was just packed into those first early years of how I was nurtured and wasn't nurtured. And again, I love my parents and now see that, oh my God, with their playbook, they did fantastic. Right. <laughs> but it wasn't that good for me. What was it about you that made you a searcher and, a, you know, a, a healer for yourself? And then so what happened is I was a big, big crier when I was little and I felt things so deeply and I was just screaming, crying. They used to call me Sarah Bernhardt, if anyone remembers who that is. Anyway, I do. OK. And then they my parents did not like that. They completely shut down all feelings. And then when I was 18, I had this great boyfriend named David and I was telling him how I couldn't access crying and I didn't cry anymore. I hadn't cried since I was 11, which is so weird. And he said, you really should go to therapy. And I was like, open. Yes, I'll try therapy. Basically, I've been in therapy ever since. But the good news is this, you know, I loved people. I was always curious. My parents did give me that, mm. like really open-minded. That's who I am. So with great therapy and lots of effort, I learned to cry a lot again and feel and undo some of those really intense locks, but I'm still working on it. Yeah. It's a lifelong process. Yeah, because there are locks and defenses. And oh, defenses, oh. defenses, too many fences. Too many fences. <laughs> so many fences. So, so, so you, you help us through these exercises in the book by going through what you call the 12 domains. Yes. Which, as you just said, the first one is about kind of first impressions. And then there's the second domain, which is your inner values, your sense of your own worth. The third domain, how you speak and listen and so on. 
So did you create these domains? Is this something that exists in astrology? So I actually wanted this book to reach all audiences. The 12 domains are taken exactly from some of astrology's description of the 12 houses. Okay. So for people that are really interested in astrology, they'll find a lot in this book that's going to educate them and also affirm what they know. Okay. But for people that have no interest in astrology, this is still a handbook based on how do you live a fully expressed life in each area of your life. But you're right. The 12 domains are extracted from essences of the 12 houses of astrology, which are the areas of learning in astrological vernacular. Hmm. Houses are areas of learning. Fantastic. So- So for people who aren't well-versed in astrology, this is actually kind of a very practical way. The primer. primer. If if you read this book and do the exercises, no matter who you are, you'll now have a grasp of some of the basics of astrology. Without even trying to, you just will. Can we go through one of them now? Sure. Let's do support language. Okay, so support language is the chapter that talks about, you know, we've had a lot on love language and how are you turned on and all of these things, but this is for how do you actually feel supported by people who know you? And I break it down as an inventory for you to decide. So we're going to ask you now, which ways do you actually feel the most supported? Fire is bold, dramatic demonstrations of love and affection. Earth are when people do chores and tasks and like do the minutia for you and serve you in a certain way. Air would be when people are positively affirming and say really good things to you and hold you up and, you know, brighten your day with messages and texts, et cetera, like that. And then water would be when people really show you how they feel and they're really interested in how you feel and they'll deepen the conversation on feeling and all of that. So then of those four, which, which is your support language these days? Water. Yes. And again, you have a Pisces rising. So that's your ascendant. And one of the ways you enter the world is you feel everybody. Yes. 100%. You feel everybody. Yes. And that gives you great empathic skills and psychic skills, but it's also overwhelming. Yeah. So it's probably one of the things that's most supportive to you is when somebody takes the time to deepen the feelings with you and get you out of the kind of automatic work mode. For sure. Yeah. So then that's a support. Yes. And, and when, when someone is able to deepen a conversation, you know, that it's, then I feel nourished and supported, you know, if someone, when someone is honest and authentically themselves and, there's that feeling piece. Yes. yes. So if you were to do the support language chapter with, you know, some of your friends and everybody started declaring, well, this is how I need support. You might be surprised because we assume a lot, right? Like my partner, no joke. She feels supported. If I actually do the dishes, well, she feels supported. If I close the cabinets, 
she feels supported if I make the bed the right way. Like she'll tell me nothing excites me more than this, you know? So, so so how great to know. So you go out of your way to do it. (laughs) Well, that's the joke because, you know, I'm an air person all over the left. And so I have to think so hard, gosh, this would mean so much if I really do this dish well. (laughs) That's how it breaks down, you know, and that would never be my support language. What's your Well, I'm a combination of the feelings. Like if people really want to know how I'm feeling and take the time. And the other one definitely is words of affirmation and love Mm -hmm. and letting me know they're thinking of me. Mm -hmm. That's like a real support to me. And it doesn't have to be lengthy, but I'm big on, oh, I thought of you and just send that because I think we don't do enough. This is my opinion. We don't do enough of putting what's inside our head and heart on the outside. My partner had to learn this because she goes, well, I always think this and this. And I said, but you don't say it. Right. And I said, to me, it means so much if you say it. And you are so good at that. Thank you. And I really practice it because it's something I like, but also I think it really makes a difference in a world of horrible noise, horrible noise. If everybody took the time to say good things to each other. I know. Can we touch on the sacred crew, the 11th domain? Yes. This is the thing I'm most passionate about. And by the way, forecast 2023, if you don't have this down, you won't be doing as well. So sacred crew are the people in your life that you know have got your back and will be there for you. Not every second. That's why you need a crew. Because let's say I reach out to you and you're slammed. You can't get back to me. If you're my only option, I'm screwed. Right. So you need, in my opinion, eight to 12 people, but they can be also professionals. They could be a therapist or an acupuncturist, whatever your crew is. They're people that you know will stand for you will be there for you to the best of their ability, want the best for you, and will also hold you when you're down and, you know, lift you up. And so I'm passionate about this because here's the big reveal. In 2023, the planet Pluto goes into Aquarius after 16 or so years in Capricorn. Aquarius is the sign that is about kinship and groups. Pluto is the intensification of anything it touches. So Pluto going into Aquarius means know who your people are, where they are, and make sure you've really been explicit that they're your people. Mm. What else is coming in 2023? Give us some other previews. Okay, big things are happening. One is we're going to have a very tumultuous fall as we all feel it already. Yes. And there's big changes asunder. Some of them are going to be shocking and some of them are going to be quite positive. So everybody vote for the positive. Then things will settle out in 2023 and Saturn goes out of Aquarius, which has been a humanity on restriction into Pisces, which means water restrictions. And what does that mean? Well, it means we all know this, but we always act like we're the last to know. We have major drought issues and water issues all over the planet. It's going to reach a level of critical attention 
next year. I mean, we already know this, but it's as if we can act like, gosh, even though those lakes are dried up, we're still drinking water, you know? It's right. gonna be critical. So Saturn's going into Pisces and out of Aquarius. So I think we'll have much less attention on pandemic and much more attention on resources. Mm. So that's one thing. But the Pluto and Aquarius, this is a major sea change. And instead of us all focusing on money and banking and all of those things, which we needed to focus on and student loans and all the rest of that, Pluto and Aquarius is really going to be about, are we one human family or are we just divided into these cults of personality and persuasion? Mm. And that's why friendship has to be, in my opinion, the key theme for 2023 and beyond. Even in your love relationship, is he your best friend? Mm -hmm. Could you say that? And I think you could. I know I can say it about my partner. Yeah. Friendship, eros, agape, these are the themes going forward. Mm. And are there things we should be, I don't want to say concerned about, but are there things that we should, you know, that are coming that are sort of harder lessons and how should we cope with them? Well, we're in the midst of our hardest lessons. I think we all feel that and know that. And I, I, everyone always asks me, does it end well, <laughs> like a movie? <laughs> and I think it's really funny because in movies, people wrote those scripts. We forget we're writing this script. Right. We're going to decide whether it ends well. There is no like objective, will it end well? Astrology never says that. It's mm -hmm. going to, it isn't. We are in partnership with the divine. If it ends well, all of this turmoil, it's because we brought ourselves to the table. So I would say the best preparation is that every single person listening to this thinks of the one thing they're going to do to uplift humanity and do it every day, even if it's for two minutes, because I, I know this is a quantum physics fact. Mm -hmm. If everybody weighed in at that level, even in a micro way, we would change consciousness. And mm -hmm. if we change consciousness, we change these outcomes. And what does that look like? What is that two minute practice? Of well, it has to be personal for every person. It could be some people it's making a donation to a cause every day for $5 for another person. It's going into the homeless shelter and bringing some food for another person. It's having a phone call with a relative who's ill and alone. It's just commit. We can all do this to an act of service. And that's what raises the frequency. I completely know that to be true. When somebody does an act of service for me without me asking, that changes my day. As an example, use yourself. If somebody out of the blue comes to you with an incredible generous gift or just an affirmation of who you are, that you didn't solicit, you didn't try for it, does it change your vibration or not? Mm, it does. Yeah. And I think if everybody just knew they had that power yeah. and like did it, whatever it is. I guess my last question would be, you know, using this blueprint of astrology, if our curiosity is piqued by this, how can we at home find ways to understand better kind of what our 
constitutional imprints are from this? Like what are, what, because we all can't get an appointment with you. So <laughs> that's for sure. Even, um, even me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you, you can slip in sometimes, but here's the thing. There's another book I wrote two years ago called Use Your Planets Wisely. It's also for the beginner and the yes. And then there's this book, A Map to Your Soul. I promise you, I know reading has been a little outdated now, but if you get both books or get them in audio yeah, and you actually spend time, it's a love letter to yourself. Because mm -hmm. for me, all my changes have come from self-awareness, social awareness. If I don't even know what I don't know, I can't learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my recommendation. Okay, that's beautiful. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Jennifer Freed. I hope you'll pick up a copy of her amazing book, A Map to Your Soul. It's out today. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.